Our current series is uh, called Walking in the Abundant Life of Jesus. Of course, we've been taking this from John 10.10, where Jesus says, I've come to give life and give it abundantly. And every week for the past month or so, we've been asking this question, what does it mean to not only experience the abundant life of Jesus, but how do we share it with others? And the picture we've been using is when we're so filled up with Jesus and all of his goodness and all, the, all the, the good stuff of Jesus, his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And when all of those things are, are, are in us and, and, and we're, we almost become overflowing. And when we pour out Jesus or maybe we, we, we overflow with Jesus and all that abundant love, what does that really look like into the lives around us? And uh, my talk today is built on a, on a few foundational statements or kind of core beliefs. And, and it's really this, that the collective life experience and wisdom in this community is priceless. The story of our life, the story of our experiences, and uh, who we are as people, the things we've gone through, the good, the bad, the ugly, all these things that shape us into who we are. Uh, one of the greatest gifts that we have to pass on to other people, one of the greatest ways we can share the abundant life of Jesus is through sharing the, our story, the lessons of Christ, the lessons of God, of his faithfulness, the hard things we've learned in life, to be able to pass those on to other people. And so our collective wisdom as a community is really priceless. And the other is that the stronger our relationships become, the stronger you are connected to community, the stronger our church is connected to one another, the stronger we become, I'd say both as a church community, but also in our individual lives. There's a real grounding effect that happens when you become connected to people, when you know there's a community around you, when you know there's a posse or a tribe or somebody that you identify with that, that you're, you're tight with. The stronger you build those things up in your life, the, the outcome and the overflow of that is, it goes into every other area of our life. In Matthew 9.36, there's this scripture where Jesus says, or it's, it's describing Jesus, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And um, if there's one group of people in our culture who I would say is confused and helpless and like sheep without a shepherd, it's our younger, our younger generations. And so a long time ago, God gave me a heart and, and just gave me a burden for young adults. And I've been working with young adults for, for quite a long time. And uh, as I've gotten older and um, my eyesight gets weaker and my hairline goes higher, um, my heart for younger generations gross because more people are now fitting into the younger generations. <laughs> the younger generation category, have you realized that? It gets bigger the older you get. And so my heart for younger generations is not just those 18-year-old punk university students anymore. It is uh, those that are in their first 10 years of their, of their, of their the first decade of their working Careers, And it's those that have come out of university. And it's those that are maybe young professionals, maybe singles and, and, and young couples and just starting their life out and just getting going. And it's, it's even the young families. And those are, those are the people that still to this day and, and even increasingly that I know is a, a part of God's call on my life is to help create community and help create a place, a safe place that they can find faith, they can find community with one another and they can raise their kids and they can move forward in life. And that is a really important part of, of, of what is in my heart. 
And part of how we describe the vision for the house is we want to be a community that mentors and reaches and includes younger generations. This is one of our cultural descriptors. This is always going to be a value for us. Uh, we have our Sunday night ministry in the summer. Um, it's, it, it, it's a little bit smaller in the summer months, but certainly in September when we get going again, we see this, this, this area here where you are is filled full of people who are, I would say the majority of them are in that 25 and, and under, maybe that 18 to 25 window. And we have this uh, great ministry and gathering place where we are reaching and encouraging students and young adults and uh, people who are just, you know, maybe working a couple years before they go to school or maybe figuring their life out. Uh, we run a shuttle to the university. We have ran two and three trips a night to the university filled full of, of people and students. Uh, we have our midweek gatherings that happen. We have our student lounge. There is, it's, it's very easy to have us, there would be 30 or 40 students, young adults hanging out, eating soup and visiting and, and uh, coffee. And we do that all semester, all the, the, the summer uh, coming into September, right all the way through to the end of April. And we have lots of effort. And you know, we have, you'll hear us say, if you're in this church, you will hear us say a lot, uh, young adults, young marrieds, young professionals, young couples, young families, we, we actually say those things a lot. And we don't make apology for those things because it's a part of our vision. It's a part of who we want to reach. And um, I tell you what, it is, I love seeing our young couples and our young professionals connecting and visiting with the rest of you after the service. I, I won't say the rest of you old people, I will just say the rest of you. Um, my heart is filled when I see somebody who is maybe in their, in their, in their 20s or their early 30s, and, and uh, maybe they're, they're married and they're holding their, their little baby or they're just visiting with their posse, and I see people of other generations visiting with them and connecting with them. I think that is so awesome. I think that's so great. And I think the more we can do that, the better, the better we can be as a community. There is no substitute for being connected to more mature believers. And one of the greatest things we can do as a church community is continually learn how to share life and friendship with younger generations. Sometimes it can seem intimidating. And you think, oh, they're just gonna think I'm weird. Uh, you, you know, I, I know this about working with people who are in that age where they're, they're just kind of coming into their own in life. They love connecting with people of, of more experienced older generations. They love to be connected to people that have got more of their life together, more things figured out, and just solid and stable, and just some wisdom. It's a beautiful thing. And so you can look at that on the outside and think, well, I, don't, I couldn't even go up to that person and talk to them. That would be weird or creepy or whatever. And okay, we all know that that could be creepy, so we're not encouraging you to do that, okay? Uh, but we are encouraging you to build relationships with people of uh, younger generations and different generations. And the same, the reciprocating is the same for people who are younger. You, your life will be enriched and strengthened. It is a beautiful thing to be a part of a church community where you can connect with people who are more mature in the Lord than you are, who have more life experience than you do. It has such a beautiful impact and, and such a beautiful presence of God in your life. And so the best way to reach younger generations is not just to cater to them in programs and slick programs, but it's to honor them and include them in our lives. And 
I can guarantee you that if somebody is 25 or, or, or 30 and they come and they're checking out our church community, it's one thing to be able to say, well, we have a young professionals group and a network and you can connect. It's, it's quite another for them to meet some people and engage with them and have a connection and feel welcomed and feel acknowledged and, and, to, and, to, and to build relationship with people. And that is a great way to reach younger generations. Uh, the summer I was 12, my family moved to an acreage just outside of Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. And uh, I had, I, it, this acreage had over two acres of lawn. And um, I knew two important things when we moved into that house. That my dad was starting a new business and he was gonna be busy and it, my 10-year-old sister was not gonna be the one cutting two acres of grass with a 20-inch uh, push mower. Two acres, 20 inches, okay? It takes a long time, it's a lot of work. And uh, I put a plan into place, and I went to work on my dad to get him to buy a lawn tractor. This is, uh, this is before the internet, okay? So you have to go to like the co-op or the home hardware store and get brochures. And I would actually bike to places and get brochures so that I could leave them at home and uh, just leave them on the table. And my dad, oh, what's this? Oh, it's a lawn tractor brochure, and you know? And, um, I, I did everything I could. I talked to my dad about the benefits of having a, a, a little tractor around and how I could even learn to drive it if he would trust me with that. And I, I wouldn't even mind helping out. I talked about the rototiller attachment for the garden and the snowplow attachment for the long driveway. I talked about how the little trailer would be great when we're hauling potatoes in the fall and hauling dirt around the yard. And I, I was excited and I was jacked about this little garden tractor and this lawn tractor that we could get. And um, my plan worked. And uh, as soon as we moved in, we took delivery of a brand new lawn tractor and all of the attachments. And I thought I had pulled off the greatest ploy in the history of the earth. Until after the first couple of weeks of living on that acreage. And um, I had cut two acres of grass twice, and it took me two days each time. And my shoulders were sore from, you know, doing this as a younger kid, reaching and, 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 and pulling the blades up, and, 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 and it was like I was sunburned, I was eaten alive by black flies. You know, a garden driving or cutting doesn't go very fast. So there is a swarm of black flies around you the whole time. And to make it worse, my sister sat on the patio eating Mr. Freezy's, watching me the whole time, just sitting in the shade. And I had this realization that um, by the second week of living there, I had this realization that I actually didn't pull one over on my dad. My dad had pulled one over on me. And I realized at 12 years old that my dad, I didn't want to admit it, but he was older and wiser and smarter than I was. And he had actually played me and I went right into it. And now I was stuck mowing the lawn. I did not see that coming. <laughs> and. I'm 44 and my dad is still wiser than I am. I was chatting with him the other day and mentioned that I was, uh, this is about a month ago, 
I was doing some maintenance and some seasonal stuff on the lawnmower. So I, uh, I've had a lawnmower for, uh, the, the, the more we've had for 10 years. I've sharpened the blade on it, but it was just time for a new blade. So I said, you know, I'm putting a new blade on it. And, um, you know, I'm going to check the spark plug and clean the air filter. And I'll, I'll change the oil. And, and we were just making chit-chat. And I said, man, you know what I really, I just don't get is why, like, it's such a pain when you have to, like, flip the lawnmower upside down to drain the oil out when you're changing the oil. And he says, well, you know, there's like a, a drain plug on the bottom right by the main shaft, right? You just crack that in the oil pan, it'll... And I said, I did not know that. And, uh, and once again, you know, my dad is smarter and more experienced than I am. And I still find that happening. And um, right now, my kids, my, my, especially my two older ones, they don't want me to tell them anything. Like, I am dumb to them. And uh, I am waiting for the day when they're going to call me up and say, Dad, I need help uh, with this. Uh, can you help fix this or can you help? And, and I, I am not living there. I'm living right now where my kids think I'm dumb and I don't know anything. But I share those stories of my dad with you because it shows us and it illustrates and it makes the point that there's no substitute for life experience and sharing wisdom with other people. And the information on the internet cannot replace the value and it cannot replace the relationship connection that we get with other people. And so for all of human history, the strength of any culture has been rooted in the strength of the relationships from younger generations to older generations. And we see this throughout almost every culture. And in our culture today, our younger generations are more disconnected from their family units and from their, their tight communities than they ever have been. My, my daughter, uh, my, my, my middle daughter, uh, got an Instagram account. And uh, she loves likes. Like, she posts a picture and, oh, the back and forth banter between her and her little community. You, though, no, you, oh, but you, though. And, and they like, 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 and she wants to see how many likes. And, and, and I, I see them growing up in our culture and their idea of connection and community and affirmation and value is so different uh, than what it would have been for me to grow up in uh, uh, the pre-digital native age. And so our younger generations, they are more lost. They are more helpless without, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They are more disconnected. And the best way to reach younger generations is to connect with them relationally and to help them find community and help them find belonging and help them find a family unit and help them find a church community and help them be just, it's like they become grounded, they become connected. There is so much value in that. And so how do we do that? As we're to say as a, as a community and as individual believers, how do we do that? How do we actually connect and, and reach uh, with younger generations that way? And I'm talking about mentoring. Uh, mentoring is, is lots of different things, but mentoring flows from relationship. The first thing I would say is that, uh, you know, mentoring can be a structured program with books and a course and an agenda and, you know, planned meetings and material that you go through. There, you can do that as you mentor people. There are some people who do that very well. There are people who've been through those kind of mentoring experiences. Some people are gifted and called to do that, but that does not mean that's all mentoring is and all that it looks like. 
And many of you would say, you know, I can't do that. I, 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 I could never be a part of something like that. And I, I get that. That's a big commitment. Not everyone's called to do that. But the good news is that mentoring is even more than that. And mentoring is really about sharing your life with someone else. Mentoring is actually about developing a relationship and having a friendship with somebody else with a little bit of intention, with a little bit of an understanding of what you bring to that relationship as somebody who has a little bit more life experience and a little bit more maturity. And some of you, I know that you don't see yourself as mentors. You look at your life and the internal dialogue of your heart says that you don't have time, says you're too messed up, says that you don't have anything good to say or share, you don't have any answers, you don't know the Bible enough, you've made too many mistakes, you're not a good example. That's the internal dialogue of our heart many times to say why we can't make room in our heart and, and connect relationally with younger generations. Mentoring is not about setting a perfect example and having all of life's answers. It is not about being that amazing, perfect, that says, follow me, you're gonna be great if you follow me because look at me, I'm, I'm so amazing, I got it all figured out. That is not what mentoring is. And you will sometimes think that's more the way it is and you'll be prevented from engaging in relationship with other people. But mentoring is about walking in relationship with someone else as they wrestle through their own life's challenges and questions and decisions. And if you think you can't be a mentor because you don't have all of the answers or don't have a perfect life example, you can breathe a big sigh of relief because the best way to mentor someone is to just be a friend in their life as they figure stuff out. And if you want to mentor someone, just build a friendship with them. And don't, under, don't underestimate the value of you knowing and having relationship and connecting with somebody of a younger generation. Another thing is that mentoring flows from life experience. One of the best things that you can bring to a mentoring relationship is the value of your experience. I talked about this uh, at the beginning when I was sharing some stories of my dad. There's no substitute for lessons learned going through the things that you've gone through. Asking a girl to marry you. How do you know if she's the one? Going to an interview. Being laid off or being fired. Losing a loved one. Dealing with sickness. Facing disappointment. Going through hurt and a broken heart. Being burned by someone you've been trusted to. Having a baby. Dealing with your teenager. Please, somebody help me with that one. Um, changing, Changing jobs. Making a major life decision. Um, buying a house. Do you know how many things you have gone through in your life and it has created an ability to understand taking risks and making decisions and and knowing that God is faithful and God comes through and it may not be so big in the moment and, and, and it's okay and there are so, your life is rich and if those are things you say, oh, you know, I've done some of those things, I've experienced some of those things, You know what, the list goes on and on, but you can be a mentor because it is the younger generations that are just experiencing that and they're just going through that. And you know what, the world can seem like it's over for them. Like it is just the the, the most difficult, crushing experience. And it is so valuable to have a connection with somebody that can say, you can get through this. 
You know, when I was younger, I had a similar experience, and I found that with a little bit of time, and, and you know, you can just be present with somebody, and you can be a mentor. You can speak just out of your life story and out of God's presence in your life. There is no magical age to being a mentor. Okay, we don't have a magic age in our society where you're either somebody who is mentored and then you become a mentor. By the time, uh, you know, actually we have people in our 20s who are mentoring other people, even in, in peer mentor relationships. And sometimes you just have a little bit more maturity, a little bit more experience. Maybe you've had a little bit longer time in faith. We connect people together all the time. Uh, I would say by the time you get into your 30s, and certainly by the time you get into your 40s, you're old enough to be a mentor. The other day, Ange looked at my iPhone and said, uh, there's something wrong with your, your phone. There's something wrong with the screen. And she said, it looks all weird. And I thought, oh, great. One of my kids took the phone and you know, dropped it and cracked my screen. And uh, I said, oh. So I looked at it, and I thought, what's wrong with the, my, my screen? She says, well, it's all funny. And uh, a couple of days earlier, I had gone into the settings and I made the text go as big as it possibly could so that I could see my screen better because my eyes are getting bad. And, um, and, and, and I used to be able to have to do, and, and so now I can do this and, and I can kind of see my phone a little better. And I am in the last days of uh, where I, I, I know I'm gonna be up here and I'm gonna pull out my reading glasses and I'm gonna preach from my reading glasses. And, um, and it, it happens. And so um, as we become more experienced, uh, there's, a, there's a good chance. As you become older, as you become more mature, there's a good chance that you have some life and some experience to share with other people. And so I was thinking about that, about, um, I was talking to my, my dad, and he said, oh, yeah. He says, as soon as you hit, like, that middle age, he says, that's every, that happens to everybody. That just, that's just normal. And I thought, oh. Middle age? Really? <laughs> Middle age? And, uh, and I actually Googled, what is middle age this last week? Because at this point in my eyesight, uh, taking medication is a life and death situation because I wouldn't be able to read the side effects and the instructions on that pill bottle uh, for anything. And uh, I thought, well, I'm middle age, and so I, I Googled it, and uh, and you know, sociologists, uh, most of them now would agree that um, middle age starts at about 44. Oh, <laughs> that is bad news for a lot of us. And um, I, there's actually uh, this came out of a scientific study of signs you may be middle-aged, okay? Uh, this is science. Uh, losing touch with everyday technology, such as tablets and TVs. Uh, finding you have no idea what young people are talking about. Uh, feeling stiff for no apparent reason. Groaning when you bend down. Needing an afternoon nap not remembering the name of any modern bands. So if you don't know anybody at Center of Gravity, there's a chance you may be middle-aged. Top 10 radio songs annoy you. Uh, you get more hair on your ears, eyebrows, nose, face, etc. Uh, you think policemen, teachers, and even doctors look really young. You choose clothes and shoes for comfort rather than style. 
obsessive gardening or bird feeding. Um, <laughs> forgetting people's names, misplacing your glasses or bag or car keys, etc. Uh, you take a keen interest in the antiques roadshow. Most of your opinions are considered politically incorrect. You buy travel suites for road trips. Um, obsessively recycling and knowing the collection dates, always carrying a handy pack of tissues, and, uh, and this last one, it says falling asleep after one glass of wine. So uh, I'm still good. I'm still okay. But we, we see this, this happen, and, and we, we, reach this, we reach this place, and many, the, 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 the point is, Many of us are middle-aged. How did that happen? I, I'm struggling with my maturity in life. And yet I know I'm still called to love and make community and honor younger generations. And the older I get, the more important that becomes to me. Because I know the value and the impact of what it can have in somebody's life. I know the value of a church community and of, of younger generations finding a community around them and a posse and friends and a tribe that they identify with and that they're safe and, and they can go through life together. There is such value in that. And, um, and the older I become and the more sensitive I can become to the differences in the generations and the more I know I'm not, I'm not as young and as cool and whatever as I once was, I know there is still so much value in pursuing those relationships with younger Christians. And to be building connection and building relationship with them, there is so much value and so much good that comes out of that. And so chances are that um, if you have any kind of uh, life experience, you can share that and connect with somebody younger than you are. Uh, mentoring flows from the gospel. John 3.16 says, of course, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, he gave his son. And if we believe in him, we can have eternal life. It says God so loved the world, he gave his son. And one of the things I love about this verse is it reveals God's greatest motivator. God's greatest motivator is his love. The cross, the gospel of Jesus, the cross of Jesus is actually God's response to his love. He loved us so much that he gave, sacrificially he gave. Love is his motivator. Could it be that one of the markers of real love is when it involves sacrifice? Could it be one of the distinguishing markers, the, the defining things that say, you know what, this is, this is true love. This is real love. This is deep love. One of the things in our culture that say, you know what, this is when you know it is real love is because there has been sacrifice involved and because sacrifice happens in that relationship. And it's not just that, that easy love and the warm feelings and all those kind of, it's, it's, there's a cost, there's a commitment, there's a, a relationship commitment that's there. I'm gonna get the, the team to come and we're gonna get ready to close the service this morning. First John 3.16, so we had John 3.16, which says that God loved the world, he gave his son. Check out First John 3.16. We know what real love is 
because Jesus gave up his life for us. And it says, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. We say that mentoring flows from the gospel because in the same way that Jesus demonstrated love for the world through his sacrifice and giving his life, he calls all believers to continual, continually model sacrificial love for others. I wonder if this is one of our biggest challenges in our Christian faith today as we live out as believers in Jesus and, and we, we live in Canada in 2016. And I wonder if this is one of the bigger challenges for us. And it's that we, we desire community, but, but it's hard to fit into our life. And we don't like the cost. And so do we have room in our lives sacrificially to love other people? Building a relationship with others so we can be present with them as they go through the story of their own life. And you know, it is, it, it, it can be a bit of an inconvenience. We all know that to, to make community and to love others, it can be an inconvenience, but the reward is always huge. And actually, we are called as believers. 1 John 3.16 says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us so you also must give up your life for one another, for your brothers and sisters. And so this morning, the question is, do you have room in your life for someone else? And to understand that part of our, part of our experience and part of our faith, part of our call, a universal call upon every believer is to sacrificially give of your life for your brothers and sisters just as Jesus gave his life on the cross. And so don't underestimate the value of building a connection and a relationship with a younger person. And um, you have gold inside of you. Some of you have got, you have got so much hurt and uh, struggle and, and some of you have had times of good times and bad times and you know what, that actually is gold. It is gold to somebody else that you can encourage and you can walk with and you can help be the presence of, of, of Jesus. Some people on, on lists, I get uh, routinely 
uh, especially as we're going to get into September, we have our university students all return. We are going to find university students. And one of the questions they're going to ask is, I'd really like a mentor. I'd really like to connect to somebody. It would be really wonderful to have a list of people that we could just, you know, kind of connect some, some bridges together. And so on this, it has a name and, and email and phone number. Uh, it says, uh, there's four boxes. I'm open to being a mentor in a one-on-one -on -one connection. And uh, the other one is that we're open to mentor, uh, mentoring connection with a younger couple. And maybe it's just, you just say, you know what, I, I, I'm married and I know there's other younger couples, there's some young couples in the church, I'd like to be able to connect with them as a couple, maybe not even just as a one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, the other is for those that may, would, may think that they're looking for somebody to be a mentor and, and they would like that relationship. It says, I'm open to finding a one-on-one -on -one mentor or we're open to finding a mentoring couple. And I think one of the only things we can do, one of the best things we can do is say, look, here's our church community. Here's people who say, you know what, I, I really need a mentor. I, I would be into that. And here's some other people who say, you know what, I, I'd like to give it a shot. I'd like to give it a chance. It's not highly structured. We don't have a lot of things or material. Or, it's just to be able to, as we go through the course of the year, we could say, look, here's somebody. Why don't, you, why don't you know connect that way? And so maybe you're already doing that. I think that's so awesome. And I just would say again, our, our um, more mature generations, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of our community. We, we need your life and your experience, and we need your relationship. And the stronger our community becomes, the stronger we are in our lives, the stronger we are in our church. And I think that um, the best way to reach younger generations is not to have slick, amazing programs. And, and of course, we want to do those things. And we want to keep growing our children's ministry. And we want to keep, you know, having great events and community gatherings for our younger generations. I tell you, if they can find connection and family, it will it will be the single greatest thing in their life. And if you're here and you're a part of a more mature generation, part of our church's vision and calling is to make connection and to love and encourage younger generations. And I hope that's part of why you're here. And I hope you love seeing young people on our stage and, and, and leading us in worship and, and involved in different things because that's a part of our church and they're important. Let me, let me pray for you, and then we're going to close. Lord, I thank you for this church and for this community. I thank you for the collective wisdom that rests and resides in each one of us. And Father, I thank you for the story of God, of your faithfulness through difficult times and through good times, through times of struggle and times of blessing. Lord, I thank you for the significant experience and the life journey of our community. And I pray, God, that you would help us once again to be reminded that we're called to love and honor and encourage and include younger generations. And, Father, help us to build relationship with them. And, Lord, again, for our younger families and our younger marriages and our, our young professionals, our young adults, we pray, God, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen their faith, you would strengthen their resolve, that they would hold on to you, that they would not falter. Lord, they would not stumble, but they would believe in you with their whole heart, mind, and soul. 
then I pray, God, that we would be a church community that would love them and encourage them and continue to let them find a home. In Jesus' name, amen.